Please listen carefully. And also, like, we started to theme everything around food for some reason. Oh, yeah. So, like... That was a dark time. <laughs> that was, that, was um, that time was zing, okay, because everything was food puns. It was really easy to name shit because everything was, like, you know, a, a dinner for one, snack grab, like, reality bites. Everything had, like, a great little moment. <laughs> What's up, nerds, and welcome to everyone and their sister. I'm Ardo. I'm Yash. I'm Christina. I'm Natasha. And I'm Stephanie. Uh, frequent listeners might have noticed a couple extra names there. Uh, that's right. Me, Nat, and Steph were fired. Uh, and there are now two <laughs> new hosts of Everyone and Their Sister. It's been a great ride. We had a good time with you, but we're sick of this. Uh, we're ending. Uh, no, we are doing a crossover episode today with the podcast Put a Blurb on It. So welcome, guys. Hi. Um, do you want to let our audience know a little bit about Put a Blurb on It? Like, I'm a fan. I listen, but just in case they mm-hmm. don't. Uh, sure. Put a Blurb on It is a books uh, podcast where Yash and I uh, got together and decided to, we were two we, we didn't want to write about, we didn't want to review books anymore, like writing them out. We were exhausted. We had our own day jobs. And so, but we still wanted to talk about the books we read. And so we started a podcast. Um, and on it, we talk a lot about the various things we've read, whether it's fan fiction or, you know, novels, comics, etc. But we also have the occasional interview with like authors who are really cool. And I don't know why they say yes to us. It's a shock quite literally every time they say yes. <laughs> Um, so people like Jason Reynolds, uh, we recently had uh, Chloe Gong on there. That's a good um, episode. You'll get mad because she's 21. She's yeah. 21. It's amazing. And it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> she's so good. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Tracy Dion, we had a really cool two-part episode with her about that Legendborn. So but, yeah, that's uh, that's us. Yep. I have nothing <laughs> else to add. <laughs> It was a very random like decision though. Like I was new to Toronto and I was still getting to know Ardo and she just randomly asked me and I was like, sure, I like Ardo. She's cool. <laughs> it's actually funny because if you listen to our teaser episode, um, you you realize that we don't know each other as well because I discovered so many new things about Yash. <laughs> just that teaser episode. Oh, that's cute though. You're like growing your friendship with your podcast. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I like that energy. It'll be sad when it ends. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's we famously talk about how there's like a seven year um, time limit on friendships. If you're not friends after seven years of being friends together, you're never going to be, fr- or like you're going to be friends forever after that if you are friends up until the seven year mark. So if you don't make it at seven years, fine. <laughs> That's the end. <laughs> Noting that down. Uh, yeah, to specify that, in my calendar, myself and Nat have a breakup date of six, uh, six, six like years and nine months after we met, just to ensure we have a little bit of a buffer time so that we don't make it past the seven year mark. We don't need to be in each other's lives that long. That's when the <laughs> divorce agreement goes through, and then I'm. <laughs> and then you're the child of divorce. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Well, we're so happy to have you guys here, and we hope everyone listening, if you haven't already listened to Put a Blurb on it, although I'm sure that you have, if you know us, because I'm going to be honest with you guys, we know most of our listeners, so it's pretty easy (laughs) to survey them and see what they already know, so there's probably some overlap. 
But we're so happy to have you guys here. And we highly recommend if you're listening to this episode, you take a listen to Put a Blurb on it. If you like this podcast, you'll love that one because we all like that one better than our own. So wow. check it out. <laughs> Truth. Um, the other interviews are great, but so is just the random chatting, as also is this podcast. Um, and in the spirit of this episode that we're doing here, we decided to theme our episode today around crossovers, because if we're crossing over the two podcasts, let's talk about things, movies, books, TV that we love that also crossed over into other worlds and other series and things like that. Um, so the guest of honors, uh, Yash, do you want to start first? What is your favorite crossover? Oh, no. Or should I go first? Because ours are... Yeah, I think you go first and introduce everything. Okay, yeah. Because... <laughs> As is the case with Argo and my podcast, we do. I came with zero synopsis. I'm I'm winging it off of Goodreads, but I mean, it's fresh right. in my mind. Classic. Right. Well, like I also like I was like I could also do High School Musical, the musical, the series, as a crossover because technically that crosses over. But I'm picking this instead just because of the the hype of the Grisha trilogy. We'll call them the Grisha verse. So the Shadow and Bone trilogy, I know everyone has probably seen the Netflix trailer already. It has 2 million views because that's the kind of shit I look at. But Shadow and Bone, starting off, is um, it's the basic plot of every YA novel you've ever read. Mm-hmm. And it came out in 2012. So you have Alina, a girl who doesn't know how special she is. Um, and she magic. She has magic, guys. You'll, you'll soon find out. And then because it's a YA novel, guess what? There's a love triangle. So Azalina gets put into the School of Magic to learn about her skills, which is every YA novel, again, people care about. Alina discovers that her and the Darkling, played by Ben Barnes in the movie, is um, they have a special connection because he is the dark and she is the light. And like, will they get together? But don't forget, she also has a friend from home who she grew up with. They're both orphans. His name is Mal. And like, maybe she's in love with him but you don't know for sure because he doesn't know if he's in love with her. And then, like, basically, that's it. I'm looking at my notes. That's all I have written. <laughs> that's, all, that's all you need to know. Did you Wait, did you mention the war that they're in? Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> as, as we know, that's not, that doesn't play into my mind. She's like, there's a love triangle. That's all you need to care about. Oh, okay. I, I lied. There's the fold. So because of some something long ago, there's like this bit, there's a section of the world that's just like black shadows that you can't, if you go through, because you have to get it to the other side to get to the other side of the country. This is my geography skills. Um, there's like dragon dinosaurs, mystical creatures that kill people on the fold. And that's and basically you're trying to, you're trying to get what are you even trying to do get the darkness away is that even a thing we're gonna say um, yeah i think they're just kind of trying trying to heal the land and while all of that is happening there's like a civil war brewing mm-hmm. um and then also there's like this layer of like the people with the magical powers are sort of in the minority and getting captured and like used for different purposes but general enslavement i guess um yeah like a casual yeah yeah uh so like literally the series the series is the series came out the books came out when um the first i think like the first wave of like chosen one stories had already happened and my love for the chosen one trope just like was fading real fast and like me and my friends were i mean got a lot of hype but me and my friends were like university students and we had limited money to spend on books and we were spending it on marginalized authors and this did not even come into my radar i tried to read it twice and i was just like i 
couldn't get past the first chapter and I just gave the books away and um yeah I just to be clear like I mean the chosen one trope as written by white people about white people there are definitely chosen one stories like Tracy Dion's Legendborn and um like Shadow Shaper by Daniel Jose Older um they do really interesting things with chosen one stories because they connect the power of an individual with their community whereas this does a very paint by numbers this one person is special this other one person is special and that's about it um exactly. yeah so like was six of crows your entry point into uh the grishaverse as well so no i read this in 2012 i have oh, to go back into, read it i have okay. to go back into my archives because i was like whatever so i went back in 2012 gave it a two and i know i hated it i hated it mm -hmm. so much and i never picked up the other ones mm -hmm. and like they're laughing at my rating but a two is like it's i finished it but i hate okay, it okay a three for her is great so like i don't know what her rating system is. what is your scale that a two is horrible but a also, three is like no a three is good i was more i think i was like more harsh back in the day because i was coming off of like the why the YA, the rise of YA. So I was like, oh, this is there's nothing interesting about this. There's nothing new about it. Exactly what you said, paint by numbers. I even wrote that mm -hmm. in my notes. So I was like, yeah, there was nothing interesting about it. So I totally gave up on it. Um, and then all I kept hearing, 2018, Six of Crows, Six of Crows, it's so great, it's so great. I'm like, really? This girl, this lady? Mm -hmm. Grisha was so bad. And then I looked into there was one review by the I'm sure you guys all have like people you follow on Goodreads that you read all the reviews and her name's Tatiana and she just like went hard and me like she got all the Russian mythology wrong like she didn't even try so that like clearly like the names are wrong like her name is Alina Starkov but it should yeah, be Starkova yeah and like just like basic shit like that so I got really pissed I'm like I'm not trying this author but yeah <laughs> Six of Crows everyone was like oh my god it's so great didn't believe it but then I had to read the other two to get to the other one because I didn't want to miss anything. Oh, so you, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't like to miss things, so I had to go in and read them. So I read them. Uh -huh. Total shit. And then you can see, but in the three books now looking back, you can see all the good plot points. Or like, the, she had skill there, but it wasn't where we did it to be until you get to Six of Crows, which yeah. is a billion times better. And um, now it's your time. It's your time. To, oh, before we go in. I'm... Rereading this now in 20, what, what year? How old am I? 2021. <laughs> 2021, yes. Why? <laughs> I was irrationally angry. I'm like, why are you mad at the Zoya girl just because she? I'm like, is that yeah. what the sh Like, irrational yeah, <laughs> rage I, from that. I agree. I also just feel like the thing about Alina is that she's a very typical, like, um, I'm a white girl, not special. I'm also really skinny, apparently. That's a bad thing. Um, and then there's beautiful. also like this, yeah, I'm not beautiful, but, but also everyone just, loves like, me. <laughs> and there's but this everyone's in love with me. moment of like, she's just kind of like internalized so much misogyny. And like, it's, I get that, but it's not portrayed on the page as well. And as a result, I sort of just like every time Zoya is mean to her. Every time, I'm like, yeah, good for her. Because <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> yeah, just like out of like just bitterness, I'm like pro Zoya anyway. Um, yeah. I do have to say, one of my favorite things here, though, is just earlier Steph being like, oh, well, I didn't like it at all, but I had to read all three so that I could then read The Seeding yeah, I... of Crows. This is how Steph recommends romance books to us with such <laughs> oh, God. series. She's like, no, like, you have to read them. You have to read all of them to get to the good one. And it's like, yeah. no. You miss information. I would never do that. Like, if, if you read book three of Crows Cole, you miss all the shit that you I... read. 
I will confirm, though, you don't really miss much if you read Six of Crows directly and only Six of Crows. Yeah. Just like, you just miss, like, Nina's, Nina's, like, sort of, like, intro and, like, her thing with Matias, I guess. It was yeah. the prince guy, Nikolai, and I was like, who is this man? Yeah. Everyone mm. knew who he was, but I didn't know, and I was like, I don't, this is unfair. <laughs> so, so that's why I read it. Um, I just sort of, like, went with it. Anyway, um... I'm going to go back because I have like no, I have my notes that are divided by like chosen ones, like tropes that I didn't care for and then setting and then character. Firstly, I just want to say the setting in Shadow and Bone was so tedious for me because it was like you basically go from a palace setting to a ship to tunnels and the ship and tunnels are boring and the palace part is just kind of like everyone's kind of well not safe it's kind of horrifying inside but like they're kind of leaving cushy lives while like literally revolution happening outside people are dying people are starving it's not a very appealing uh setting to me but like literally Ketterdam, which is the amsterdam inspired setting of six of crows i know the city better than i know toronto <laughs> <laughs> I know the difference between West and East, Dave. I know that the further East you go in the city, it's more affluent neighborhoods. I know where the barrel is. I know in relation, which is where all the immigrants are. It's like how these are ghettoized in real life. Like I, there's so many layers to the details that she lays down in this like duology that I appreciate that relate to real life that I did not feel anything for in the original trilogy. So like if I needed a map, you're saying you could draw me one. I could draw you one, but the second book also has a map. I guess, like, also what I've noticed is, like, the first trilogy is, like, so vast, and I feel like she has to cover a lot of ground when writing that. Mm-hmm. Ketterdam, a lot smaller. It's probably easier to layer in more complexity. And, like, I don't I don't know if you guys have read Ninth House, but that's also, like, yeah. hyper-focused on a single place. And I just find, like, the writing is so much better. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I just don't think she's good at, like, the the bigger arc <laughs> yeah i think also limited by the fact that she only has alina as the pov yeah um yeah. when it's a revolution you need multiple povs because revolutions belong to people not the yeah. one chosen person so it's it's just like strategically she made a lot of decisions that worked for like the current YA then but like not so much now um anyway Basically, all this to say that I resisted Six of Crows when it came out. I was like, nobody talked to me about this. Um, and then uh, this website that is now defunct, but like adds a valuable resource, um, Disability and Kidlet. They did an interview with Lee Bardugo talking about how her disability and how she wrote Kaz to be like the anti-hero of a series and his cane making him even more powerful than what you'd expect. Um, and so I was intrigued because at the time I was struggling to find books that featured disability. Um, and I call Kaz my trash son. He is my <laughs> trash son. He's a murder baby. <laughs> I love him. Um, but Inej is actually my favorite character. And she has this line in the second book where she's facing off someone who truly believes she's the heir to the Ravkin throne, which is the Russia-inspired country. And um that character says i'd never take an innocent life and inej has this moment of like 
Um, I have blood on my hands. Everything that I did, I did to survive because when I was 14, I was literally like all my choices were taken away from me. She was sold into like sex slavery basically. And like then she got recruited as a spy so that she could leave the brothel, but she was still in a dangerous situation. That's really the impetus for the entire series, um, this duology. And that's what actually drew me to it because there's a whole conversation happening about childhood as a privilege um, and how poverty and like being marginalized takes that away from you. Especially if you're like literally living in a slum with a bunch of adult gangsters, like there's a whole different layer of that. So yeah. Question about that, because yeah. one of the things that I've heard lately about Six of Crows is the fact that people don't believe that these, that the characters could be teens. Mm -hmm. um, I heard a lot of people are like, "Why age them up? Age them up? Age them up?" Ooh, will they age them up in the in the in the film because, or in the show in the series because it's not realistic for these characters to be teens. Mm -hmm. Like, what would what would you say to people like that? I I mean, like, I think that's mm, it's a it's an opinion. I don't really think that. Aside from Kaz, I don't see the other characters not feeling like teens because of the lives that they've had up until that moment. Also, Jesper is like on the cusp of adulthood. So like that's a, there's like a range of ages that we have in the book. Um, I think with Kaz, I'm just like he's he's literally presented as a criminal prodigy. You don't read Artemis Fowl and go like, why is he so smart? Like, you know, like it's just the way he is. That's the draw of the character. Like. If you don't like it, it's fine. But like, um, I also think there's value in aging the characters up because I do not trust on-screen adaptations um, to treat, especially with Inej, because she has like a really traumatic backstory. I, I don't want that like whole thing to be played out on screen for like whatever like appeal for adults. Like, I don't want to see scenes from the brothel, and if it does, it has to serve a purpose. And yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What? How old are they? 16, 17? I can't really remember. So Inaja's 16. Um, Nina's also 16, 17. Uh, Wilet, I think, is also 16, but he's like, he behaves like he's 14 because he's new to the scene. Is he 16? I thought he was 15. <laughs> I don't remember, but I think I feel he's like, he's like the baby around. of the group, right? He yeah, is yeah, the he baby is. of the group. But it's interesting because Wylan's also the one that... Um, the reason I asked that question too, because he's the one that comes, like he has a privileged background as opposed to the rest of the crew in mm -hmm. Six of Crows, right? He's the one that that is like joining them out of like rebellion to his family, right? And so even if he was 16 and is the same age as like Inej and, and Nina and all that, I think their lived experience really mm -hmm. shows who gets to truly act quote unquote 16 and who doesn't yeah. get to act 16. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm going to dive into the characters, Steph. Do you want to talk about something that I said? Because I, like, I just, I have a list and I'm working through it. Like, so the TV show is both of these books put together. And I don't know mm -hmm. how they're going to do that. Just because the timelines aren't the same. Like, I think Six of Crows happens, like, two years later. Did I make that up? It's From the first. Oh, okay. So, actually, it could work out. But I don't know, like... Personally, Six of Crows is more interesting, so like spend more time with those people rather than Alina and all of them. So I'm interested to see how they're going to put it all together. Yeah, I think the I was a little concerned when I saw the trailer because we get like 1.2 seconds of um, <laughs> literally the crows, and um, I think like it was 
I think the director, is it the director? I don't even know names anymore. Um, he basically said that because everything is a prequel and new material, they didn't want to spoil anything in the trailer. So we are going to get more of them in the show. I just don't know what it's going to be. They wouldn't even be the complete crows at that point, right? Yeah, Wylan is not in the show. Um, yeah. I, I think Nina and Matthias are having their backstory played out. From, oh, that like, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. Because then it would... Um, you can then have the moment of when they get together to play out the stuff in the duology. Yeah. Um, that said, that actually leads us into the characters. <laughs> and the reason that makes this series so much fun. Um, we're going to start with Nina. Uh, she's a Robkin Grisha. She was trained as a spy. And her education was cut short at some point because they were just like, it's time to go out into the world. We can't, we can't keep everyone safe right now. So she basically goes off to, um, I guess, like, recruit Grisha from different countries and bring them back to Ravka. Um, but, like, things happen. She meets a guy. <laughs> Maybe they're I, enemies to lovers. Who could say, you know? Who could say? I actually was not into this, but, you know, like, we'll see how the show does it. Um, <laughs> also, I just want to mention, she's canonically fat. I... The actress, I have no beef against her. She seems perfectly lovely, but she is not what I would call statuesque. And um, that is what Nina is. Um, so she she clashes with Matthias, who is from Fierda, which is like a white supremacist Scandinavia. And his parents and baby sister were burned alive by Grisha. And basically, he became like an easy target for this army that hunts down Grisha. And so he goes through all of this brainwashing and he ends up meeting Nina, basically capturing her and they survive a shipwreck and thus their romance blooms. I'm really doing a bad job because I actually don't like enemies to lovers as a trope. Well, we're fighting on that, but But you no, that's that's exactly it. Obviously okay. you knew I mean Obviously, I was intrigued by the romance plots because I'm basic in that way. But <laughs> I think that's fine. Like I, uh, on reread, I really enjoy Matthias's story. The first time, I was more distracted by all the other characters, especially Wyland, because he's so surprising. Um, but I, uh, yeah, Nina and Matthias on hindsight, really, really interesting. And like, no redemption arc is going to be as good as Zuko's, but Matthias's comes pretty close. And clarification for those listening, Zuko as in the character from Avatar The Last Ender. I took I, a moment there where you said that and I was like, oh, I haven't heard of this character before from this series. So also like, shout out to anybody listening who also hasn't yet got to this series. Don't worry, even if there's spoilers, you're not going to remember when you actually go to read it because that's what's it, happening right now with me. <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. Um, the, also, welcome to the chaos that I bring to uh, the podcast. Um <laughs> These are the two characters that sort of bring the crossover element from the original trilogy, right? Because, like, I had no concept of what the whole Ravka Grisha thing was yeah, no until <laughs> the two of them started talking. And I was like, that's cool because, like, when it's set against Fierda and, like, Fierda and politics, you sort of get a better understanding of what's happening in Ravka, um, which 
again, I think like the setting of Rapka is so boring. Anyway, they re- yeah, they really underplay the fact that like in another like borderline bordering country, people kill them, kill yeah. all these Grisha. Like that is never fully explored in Shadow and Bone. Yeah. It's literally called a witch hunt. <laughs> does does the another thing that I heard from other like I not read so I listen on audiobook. It was my first ever audiobook when I was fancy because Audible had just become a thing and was reaching out to book bloggers and going, Hey, there's this new thing from Amazon called Audible. Do you want free credits and to figure it out and stuff for free? And I'm like, Yeah, for free, I'll do that and like wrote a review about it. And so I ended up using Shadow and Bone because I'm like, I don't want to read this. I'll listen to an audiobook. Um, and it was meh, it was fine. I never wanted to revisit again. It was whatever. And then Yash is like, go read Six of Crows. And I'm like, all right, I'll read Six of Crows. Um, I read Six of Crows and I liked it more than Shadow and Bone, but it was still missing something for me. Like it was, it, it, it had everything that should have like made me fall in love with it, but something held me back from it. I just couldn't, just in my heart, I couldn't get into it. But what, I've seen other people doing because a lot of people are doing kind of like live shows and like book club type things leading up to the show. And what this one group, uh, they're Barnes Bay's book club, I believe. Great. Follow them on uh, YouTube. Uh, but they had talked about it more in this when they're, they just did the second book where they talked about the fact that because another crossover element is the fact that Inej and Jesper's people, the Zemenis and the Sulis, I believe, mm-hmm. look at me keeping track of this information, um, are referenced, I think, in the original trilogy. And it kind of, and you mm-hmm. guys can probably speak more to this, that you can tell that Lee wasn't so great about depicting marginalized communities in that original trilogy Absolutely. and somehow uses this <clears throat> duology to do a better job of that in yeah. addressing, um, I'm assuming, racial like communities um, in the book. Yeah, I mean, I would agree, but probably more opinions to be had, but um, yeah, I, I am going to get to Jasper and I'm kind of like working down the list, but um, yes, I agree that this series does a better job of, well, because like this whole series is about the different ways in which pe- the characters are marginalized and that's the impetus for them to like get rich and leave basically, you know? So I, um, yeah, anyway, we're going to do a brief talk about Wyland, my baby. Um, he was dyslexic and he has trouble reading. He's good with numbers and chemistry, but his dad doesn't really value that because um, the country that they're in values trade over everything. So if he can't read a trade manifest, he's useless to um, John Yan Vanek. Anyway, so um, the dad has him kind of killed or tries to have him killed. And Wylan inadvertently, he escapes and inadvertently joins the dregs. Uh, and his dad had him killed, and I was like, "That sounds like a dad." What <laughs> <laughs> dad energy? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Um, and like, he kind of is a—I mean, romantic interest, but also like the character goes um, so, sort of contrasts well with Jasper, who also has an interesting father-son relationship. So Jasper is an immigrant to Ketterdam, and he's from Noviazem, which is a colony of Kirches, which is the Netherlands situation we're in, in this duology. And um, he's black, he's biracial, um, but he's also Grisha. And it's sort of driven into him that he should be scared to be a Grisha because people will hurt him if they know that he is a Grisha. And so he hides his power, and but he misses the rush of using that power. And it sort of manifests in a different invisible hurt. 
um, the way that it does with Wylan. And it's, he basically ends up getting like an addiction to doing thrill-seeking things, including gambling. And he's so bad at gambling, he gets into debt and also ends up joining this gang. (laughs) (laughs) Also, my favorite fact about Jesper is that like the whole fandom seems to be like, oh, Jesper, that goof. And I'm just like, he was literally a law student. Like what? He was really (laughs) smart. He just decided to go a whole different way. (laughs) um, Anyway. Um, and then we get to Inej, who is the only person who talks about Suli and how they are treated in the Grishaverse and like in Ravka specifically, because she's from like a culture that's sort of inspired by the Romani. And the Romani basically faced like multiple genocides and doesn't get half as much attention in mainstream, like where even in school when you're learning about genocide. Um, so she, and she's like, I don't know. She's... You you want to be her, basically. That's you all you got. You want to be her. Um. Yeah. She. I mean, the reason she joined the dregs is again because she made a good spy, and that meant leaving the brothel. Um. In my mind, she's a mafia queen to go with her mafia king. <laughs> she is a mafia queen, and the series ends in a very interesting way. But we'll touch on that if we ever get there, because my list is long. <laughs> um. <laughs> but basically, I think all of the book's big themes. Um, are explored through her character. So like questioning a world where productivity and profit is sacred. Um, Talking about childhoods that are lost and like the way that a country can be against slavery but be deeply complicit in enslaving people with like real life. And um, the way that life in the slums makes you choose between goodness and competence. That's a very interesting conversation that happens in book two where there's a character who is complicit in her capture. And he's so hurt that she won't be nice to him because he's being nice to her. And she's just like, I cannot believe the softness of this creature. And I love that line so much. Anyway, um, it's, yeah, so she's, I'm very excited to see Amita Suman um, bring her to life on screen. I think that was one of the castings where I was like, this is spot on. She's exactly how I imagined her. Um, yeah, and then finally my trash son Kaz. <laughs> People are obsessed with him. He is a criminal prodigy, and he's leading this gang. Well, he's not officially leading it, but you know, he's a mastermind. He's, he's the mastermind. Yeah. Um, and this is where I'm going to segue and do a PSA. <laughs> Kaz is actually twice disabled. A lot of people only talk about his physical disability. He shattered his knee while robbing a bank. Of course he did. Um, but he he uses a cane, and that's his physical d- disability. But he also has hephrophobia or touchphobia because of a childhood trauma. And I think a lot of readers know to respect the physical disability, but they're not so good about the invisible disability because it does affect his day-to-day life. He wears gloves mainly for that reason, not because he likes being a huge nerd. Um, and so his <laughs> and so there's there's like a whole section of like book bloggers where they're just kind of obsessed with like whether Kaz or Kaz and Inej will ever bang. Oh yeah. yeah and yeah, it's yeah, yeah. really creepy to me for a few reasons because Firstly, it's adult women, and this character is a teenager written for teens. Um, He's 17, and it's cringy at best and creepy at worst. And, like, second, no matter how small the percentage is, the people who have touch phobia in real life, it is a disability. And either you're working not to be uh, ableist or you're 
just trash. So like I, there's really no in between there. And finally, I just want to say I came to the series when I was sort of figuring out my um, relationship to romance and sexuality and like I am biromantic and demisexual and true to my geeky self I came out through a book riot post that I wrote I love that I wrote about bringing headcanons to books that you love and seeing Inej as demisexual because she talks about how she can't always she doesn't always like it when people touch her um and there's only one person she's really attracted to and it's Kaz and he has his issues with touch as well which makes for a very complicated interesting slow burn relationship um but yeah I just feel like there is space in literature to have relationships that don't use sex as the way to demarcate whether a relationship is romantic and in that sense, I think Kaz and Inej are like amongst my favorite relationships that are kind of ride or die, um, kind of like the leads in Pacific Rim <laughs> and kind of like Joan and uh, Sherlock in Elementary. Like they have this like queer platonic, but also romantic relationship that just values each other as partners. And I, I just really love it. Um, anyway, that's, I have more, but like, I think those are my important points and I've talked for half an hour. I'm so sorry. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. I have a little tear. It was gorgeous. <laughs> it's so good. Also, I don't know if, uh, either of you mentioned it, but Six of Curls is a heist book. Yeah, it is. Exactly. It is yeah, a heist. Those are main entry um, for Christina to read this. I know. <laughs> I, did, I did note down, aside from the fact that my favorite uh, aside from the fact that even the most boring relationship in Six of Crows is not as compelling as the biggest relationship in the original trilogy, um, this is a heist book. <laughs> and we get to see a lot of fun details about heists and like practical things about heists. I always remember this thing that Kaz had to like basically throw up lockpicks every few hours during a heist. <laughs> Where I was just like, oh, because like if he doesn't, he digests it and then they're out of lockpicks. <laughs> like go Kaz you idiot but also when you research it this is how the actual heist happened so it wasn't it a heist in a heist like they did multiple heists in one book Ugh. yep oh see like layered a nested heist now yep. i'm like i don't care i don't want shadow and bone i just want six of like just give me that in a tv show i don't want anything mm -hmm. else Ugh. i agree I wonder I'm like I'm like really hoping so this is like my thing about the TV show are they gonna do the first three books in that first season what's gonna happen here like I don't want it stretched out I don't need that I don't want to wait till season four for six of crows to actually right? it's only eight episodes that's yeah. I looked into it <laughs> oh can you what can you possibly do in eight episodes I love how you're like I looked into it where I was just like I fully watched a horse show for one of the cast like I <laughs> I, okay, wait, what horse show? <laughs> and I also like I took I took the day off so that I could watch it with two co-workers. Sorry, what horse show? Because I have a special interest. Oh no, I like Freddie Carter's face. He is in a horse show on Netflix, three seasons, two movie specials called Free Rain, and I watched all of it. Was it good? It's bad. It's the Netflix contract. How do you get into the Listen, Netflix contract where you're in all the shows? Um, so the main character is black and she's from LA. And the I like that in theory. I just don't think she's a fantastic 
actor because the contrast between her and like the rest of the cast is really telling she brings a very like this is uh the sweet life of zach and cody vibe into a bbc <laughs> show you know um and <laughs> sorry there's a christmas special on the show the 12 yes. nays of christmas listen i i have things to share with you from that uh special i shared it in our group chat with ardo and it's basically like um you get to see Freddie Carter play this um, character called Peter, but everyone calls him Pin. Um, he he's a horse boy, and <laughs> he's what so is a nice. Horse boy? <laughs> he's um, obviously boy. yeah, he's a horse boy, <laughs> like a horse girl, but not. Listen, I deeply dislike horses. <laughs> I cannot same, stand same. them. And you watch this whole show. I watch this whole show <laughs> to look at Freddie Carter. They're gonna no no. They're gonna do the shaved side, like the Peaky Blinders haircut. It's he, oh god, I hate that. Okay, but um, <laughs> um, he looks like a sickly Victorian child. And so that's Kaz. Yeah, that's that's Kaz. Yeah. yeah. Do you think they're gonna since they're old now? Do you think they're gonna have sex? in the show because that's my guesstimate because when you as soon as you age them up they can bang i i think that's pretty much why i'm always suspicious when they're like oh we're gonna age them out i'm like oh it's for sexy times i see okay i mean at least that's a better option than riverdale where you just pretend that they're still 15 and yet uh a 15 year old is stripping at a biker bar in front of her mother and 60 giant bikers at like midnight i'll listen it was that first season was good bad like bad good until the last three episodes or so and then that's when i said to my my friend i'm like this is the last time i'm watching this show (laughs) i'm ending at season one and you should because there was no reason to keep going i think i watched a couple episodes season two and i was like well this is pointless but i've been thinking about this since you asked that question about like aging up characters of like why do you have them as teens if you just want them to be older my first thought was i that's just almost like a misplaced criticism for really things like riverdale where you didn't want them to ever be in high school you wanted them to be 25 but you were like oh but it's archie so they're 15 and then you don't care about that and then you have someone strip 15 years old okay and she's in a nighty in a biker club i just feel so strongly about it Next time on Everyone and Their Sister. I don't know if I liked it. I don't know if I hated it. It was it was there. Basically, Scientology is believing in things you find in Prometheus or Stargate SG-1. The episode starts with the KGB walking in. Sometimes I think they're just very slowly aging. But I just want to acknowledge in this moment my complete shock over you watching everything and not losing your mind. Sing me your feelings. Everyone and their sister will return next week, Tuesday, same time as always, with part two of our crossover episode. Stay tuned, sisters.